So if a phrase like God will never give you more than you can handle is not in the Bible, then where does it come from? If we've heard it or circulated amongst the Christian community, I mean, like, has anyone heard this or something like it or come into contact with it? Yeah, yeah. Maybe we even said it at one point or another, right? But yeah, this is something we hear often, right? And, but if it's not in the Bible, then where does it come from? Well, quickly, I want to go through two origins of where I think a phrase like God will never give you more than you can handle comes from. So the first one is, I think, a pragmatic attempt to offer comfort or hope to someone or a loved one or a friend who's going through a a hard time, right? You know, when we watch our friends or people that are close to us struggle, we want to offer some words of uh, hope or offer some words of comfort and something like, well, don't worry, God will never give you more than you can handle. Sounds really nice, right? And that's where I think it comes from. It's funeral speak, right? You're at a funeral and you have all these people in the line who are going through a really difficult time and you want to offer some words of comfort or some words of hope. And so you say something like, God will never give you more than you can handle. It's kind of like this guy. All right. So these guys are at this funeral. He says, I never know what to say to people at funerals. And the other guy says, neither do I, I'm terrible. And the woman says, well, just say, I'm sorry for your loss, then move on. And so the guy goes through the line and he says, I'm sorry for your loss. Move on. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> you weren't supposed to say the move part. You're supposed to move on to the next person, right? But it's funeral speak. It's, it's something that will kind of alleviates our anxiety as we're watching all the anxiety that our friend is going through, right? God will, don't worry, God will never give you more than you can handle. A second origin, and I think this one is more prominent, is this comes out of a misinterpretation of 1 Corinthians 10.13. So I'm sorry, I'm kind of doing some misdirection for you all this morning because that's kind of this grounding scripture in our service and I'm going to talk about how we misapply it and misinterpret it, all right? But I think God will never give you more than you can handle also comes from a misinterpretation of 1 Corinthians 10.13. Let's look at what Paul says. He says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience and God is faithful He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And when we read this verse, I think what lodges itself in our minds and what we remember when we walk away from it is this part, right? God will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And then on top of that, we might even hone in a little bit on that last part where it says God will always give us a way out so that we can endure. And so what we do is we take this verse and we broaden it out to apply to trials when in reality the verse is specifically talking about temptations, right? That's what Paul sets the context as when he starts out. He says the temptations. So this verse is talking specifically about temptations and there's great news about that, which we'll talk about. But we run into a problem when we broaden this verse out to apply to all trials, all right? Temptations and trials are two different things, all right? Temptations are enticements into sin, right? Lures that want to drag us into sin, whereas trials are experiences as a result of sin, all right? Temptations are lures into sin, whereas trials are universal experiences. That's part of living in a broken, sinful, and fallen world, all right? There's a difference, all right? Trials are gonna happen, all right? Trials are part of what it means as humans to live in a world that is depraved, to live in a world that is sinful, to live in a world that is broken, to live in a world that is fallen. In fact, the Bible even tells us, don't be surprised when you face trials and when you face difficulties. First Peter 4.12 says, dear friends, Peter says this, he says to these persecuted Christians, he says, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. He says, people, we live in a broken and sinful world. 
that's going to cause trials. You're going to face difficulty. You're going to face adversity, all right? Don't be surprised when it's happening to you. In fact, Jesus said that if you love him, the world's going to hate you, right? So that's two knocks against us, right? They were definitely going to face trials. It's a universal experience of living in a broken, sinful, and fallen world, all right? And so what we do, but this verse, I should say this verse doesn't talk about trials. It talks specifically about temptations, which are enticements or lures into sin. Trials are a universal experience, of living in a broken and sinful fallen world. But temptations are resistible. That's the good news. Trials are going to happen regardless. Trials are not resistible. But temptations are resistible. And here's what Paul is saying specifically about temptations being resistible. He says, God will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. So God will actually withhold the temptation to a point that we can always say no that we can always resist. This is the good news about temptations this morning is that it will never become so great that both of our options disappear into one option. There's always two options. The option to resist and the option to give in. And God in his love for us and in his care for us will withhold the temptation to a point that those two options will always exist. It will never get to the point where it's so great that we can say, my option of resisting disappeared, I had to give in. And then on top of that, he even cares for us all the more by, like, like uh, Lori, right? It's Lori talked about in the children's sermon. Uh, he gives us exit signs on the road to get out of it, to get out of the situation, right? So that we can endure. He gives us exit signs. That's the good news about temptations this morning is that we can always resist. We can always get out thanks to God's help. But this verse isn't, is talking specifically about temptations. It's not talking about trials broadly. And so what I want to do is I want to explore this unbiblical phrase and I want to correct it into something that is biblical. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get out my red pen and we're going to correct this false phrase into something that's true. I had this teacher in high school. uh, His name was Craig Keller. I liked him. He was a good teacher. But he had these brutal, brutal tests. And he had this section of his test and it was called true, false, correct the false. So you had to determine if a statement was true or false, and if you determined the statement to be false, then you had to correct it so that it was true. And so you know how you deal with that. True, 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 true. But he was smart. He saw that coming. So it would be like if there was 10 questions, like nine would be false and one would be true, right? So he he was smarter than us all. But what I want to do is I want to get out my red pen and I want to correct this false statement into something that is true. So I'm going to cross out the words, never give you. And I'm going to replace those words with the word allow. And so what we're left with is God will allow more than you can handle. God will allow more than you can handle. Now, you might be sitting there and you might be thinking, well, I saw God's love and care for us in the scripture about temptations because he's withholding the temptation. I was giving us two options, giving us exit signs to get out of the situation. I could see how a loving and caring God would do that. But why on earth would a loving and caring God allow trials. How could a loving and caring God allow this to happen to us? And we could sit here and talk about this all day, but I want to talk about two specific reasons why I think he allows these trials and these temptations. All right, well, quickly, just as sort of an aside, I just thought of this. So praise the Lord that we have a God who can redeem these trials, right? If it's going to happen anyway, if it's part of living in a broken, sinful, and fallen world, Praise the Lord that we have a God who's actually going to use it for his greater redeeming purposes. I, had a, I have a youth leader. This is what made me think of this. I have a youth leader, uh, and, uh, as, and my mom would describe her as a fun whippo woman. 
all right? She's kind of feisty, all right? And she, I got a text from her uh, this week, and she said, I'm dealing with this coworker, and she's making me mad because my coworker said that God doesn't exist because children get cancer, you know, basically the problem of evil, right? Help me, help me. So I started texting her some things, and, I, and one of those things I said was, well, if you don't believe that there is a God because of evil, then that evil is empty suffering, and it's just something that we have to endure, But if we believe that there is a God who is sovereign and who is allowing this to happen, then we believe that that suffering actually has purpose and God can use it to redeem it for his greater purposes. So praise the Lord for that, right? Let's look at how he redeems this. The first way he redeems this is to make us mature in faith. And the second way he redeems this is to teach us complete reliance on him. So let's look at that first one. God will allow more than you can handle to make you mature in faith. Tony, you are good, man. You're right with me. This guy is amazing. I didn't want to look back for fear that he'd be off and that I'd get all screwed up. He's awesome. God will allow more than you can handle to make you mature in faith. So James 1, one of the things I said to this youth leader who was texting me, I, I pointed her to James 1, and I've gone here constantly. And James writes to these persecuted Christians. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And now you might be reading that. You go, James, you must be outside your mind. What are you talking about? When troubles come our way, we're supposed to take great joy? Well, James knows that there is a God who is sovereign and who is redeeming these trials and these difficulties for his purposes. And James goes on and he says, here's why we can be joyful. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James says, here's why we can be joyful when the trials come, because God will use those trials to grow us into the people he wants us to be. He will use those trials to shape and form and fashion us into the people he wants us to be, and we're going to come out the other side looking more like Christ than when we first went in. That's the good news. That's the good news. This sermon was largely a result of some events that happened in Morgan and I's life about a year and a half ago. So at the end of 2016, Uh, The Lord answered our prayers for a second child. Um, Now that I know who this child is and have had him for a year, I don't know if I really wanted him. No, I'm I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. He's not here, so I can say that. No, I'm totally kidding. Totally kidding. He answered our prayers. And so we're in for an early ultrasound in Sheboygan. And the doctors are having Morgan, my wife, contort into all these different positions to try to get a look at his heart. And at one point, you know, they're like, drink this juice, now lay this way, and now lay that way, you know. Anyway, so at one point, the staff leaves the room, and a few minutes later, the doctor comes in, and she's got this real serious look on her face, and she says, it's not that we're seeing, it's not that we can't see his heart, it's that we're seeing abnormality, and we know for a fact that his heart is on the wrong side of his body, and so we're going to refer you out, and so began a couple weeks of bouncing around between these different hospitals, trying to get some answers, and we ended up at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, Now, flash forward to May of 2017, and Morgan gives birth to Colin Thomas Verveldi, and he's immediately transferred to the NICU, and then six days after his birth, he undergoes surgery so they can cut out an aorta, or cut out a kink in his aorta, all right? And now we're looking at one more surgery coming down like one or two years from now. And what's funny is, so this happened kind of about a year ago this past May, And you know how in your social media feeds you get like your memories from the previous year? So these pictures have been popping up about from a year ago of when we were in the hospital. And we've had this kind of blessing of reliving this time in the hospital, reliving this time of bouncing around to different hospitals. And 
what's so funny about it is we're, we sound like crazy people because we, we look back at that time with almost this nostalgic longing and we look back and be like, remember how great that was <laughs> when we were in the hospital? But we, we would, and we wouldn't change a thing. That's how we sound even crazier is that if we could go back and change it, we wouldn't. Because the Lord used this time as one of, if not the most, spiritually rich times in our entire marriage. Because he grew us in a way that we would have never grown if we would have never had to go through that. So you look back and it's crazy because he wouldn't change a thing. Right? So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God will allow more than we can handle to make us mature in faith. And God will allow more than we can handle to teach us complete reliance on him. Paul reflects on all of the persecution, all of the daily death, all of the, 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 the trials and the difficulties that he's faced. I mean, if it's anyone who knew death at, at de- daily potential death, it's Paul, right? And he's reflecting on all these difficulties and he's asking himself, why? And here's what Paul says. Paul says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But here's why. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. This is why we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. God will allow more than we can handle to teach us to rely less on ourselves and to rely completely and wholly upon him. You know, if you think about it, if you think about it, God will never give you more than you can handle. Our statement that we're dealing with today, if that's true, which it's not, if that is true, then we don't need God. Because nothing will put us out of our depths. Nothing will be more than we can handle on our own in our own capacity. And so God uses these trials, God allows these trials, because he wants us to rely less on ourselves and more upon him. Going back to uh, this time in the hospital, you know, when, when we found out, after that first ultrasound in Sheboygan, when we found out that something was up, up with Colin, we didn't know he was Colin at that point, because we're big believers in the surprise of the gender, so just baby at this point. So we, 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 when we found out about baby's heart, the, your life changes, and the stakes are raised. And I remember that when I would get into my car during those several months, my default is to listen to a podcast when I'm in the car. But when the stakes are raised, ain't nobody got time for that. And so I had worship music on all the time. And one of the songs I listened to constantly was God, I Look to You by Bethel Music. And I remember just singing this song, like singing my guts out, like my life depended on it. I mean, it was probably like horrible to listen to because I was like, God, I look to you in my car, you know, like get me with the tears are like pouring down my face. And I'm like, I'm at the end of myself, you know, <laughs> but you're at the, you're, you're pushed out of your depths and you're pushed out of your own capacities and you're literally at the end of yourself. And so I'm singing my guts out to this song in my car because I'm like, God, if I don't look to you, I'm going to fall apart. I mean, look at me right now. I'm falling apart. Right? So I need to look to you. You're my only option because the other option is falling apart. Life end. So God, I have to look to you because you're all I got. One of the blessings during this time in the hospital was that Morgan and I got to stay at Ronald McDonald House because we live in Sheboygan County. If I lived here, we wouldn't be able to stay there. So praise the Lord that I live there. (laughs) And it was a blessing. It was a blessing. 
And uh, the Ronald McDonald House has this chapel. Well, they call it a chapel. I call it a non-offensive ecumenical room. And uh, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? And in the room, there's a, there's a, to their credit, they have a KJB big thumper of a Bible laying up there on an altar. So that's to their credit. But it's actually quite a nice room. And, and I would steal down into this room and I would read scripture. And I read scripture differently than I've ever read it before. Because I read it like I was a starving man. And this was a feast that was laid out before me. Because I'm like, Lord, if I don't feast upon your words, I mean, I'm just cramming his words into my mouth. And I'm just like, ah, and every bit of it is just like the best meal you've ever had. Because my life is going to fall apart. If I don't believe this, and if I don't feast upon your word, my life is going to fall apart. And so I read scripture like, like it was my lifeline during that time. Because I was at the end of myself. And I needed to rely completely and wholly on the Lord. God will give us more than we can handle. God will allow, I should say, God will allow more than we can handle to mature us and shape us and form and fashion us into the people he wants us to be and grow our faith. And at the same time, God will use these trials and allow more than we can handle and put us at the end of our ropes so that we can rely less upon ourselves, American individuals, and more upon the Lord who raises the dead. And so I get it. I get it, Brother James. I get it when he says, take joy in every trial. Because thanks to God and his redeeming purposes, the worst of times can become the best of times. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.